Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby it doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I'm JB, sat here alone in the rugby dungeon, but I'm not really alone because down the line are my two great friends, Tim Cocker and Phil Logan. Tim, how are you? I'm, I'm very well. More to the point, how are you? All, all I can see in the Rugby Dungeon is... Uh, well, you kind of got a Hugh Hefner vibe going on, JB, at the minute. <laughs> exactly. I imagine this is exactly how Hugh Hefner would have dressed if he also had COVID. Or indeed, <laughs> or a bar mitzvah, or anything else that Hugh Hefner would, would do. But yeah, thank you for asking, Tim. I am okay, which is probably why I am here alone, and you guys are down the line, because... I've been struck down by the dreaded COVID-19. Mm, and you're feeling okay. Most importantly, you are doing all right at this moment in time. I am feeling absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. Um, is, it, oh, is, it, is it wrong to say this? There's a little bit of me that's like, I took the kids round to a friend's house when they were younger to, so we could get chicken pox out of the way. There's a little bit of me that's just like, I'm, I'm heading round to JB's. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because if you dare mention that, it's not very dangerous to people of this age. People go absolutely mental. They, they fly off the wall. I tend to believe what the science said originally. It's not that dangerous to young people. And judging by how I feel, it doesn't seem that dangerous. That said, I have been reading around it. And apparently day five is death day. So, or beginning of death. So I'm on day five now. So uh, who knows? So- I'm glad you're well, JB. How are you, Phil? I, I'm very good. Very good. I, I was um, looking forward to doing the first pod in person since North Dorset Sevens, but sadly, Jay, Jay's ruined it for the, the three of us. Mm. Exactly, exactly. One of the things which annoys me most about this whole COVID thing is as soon as I said that I had it to some certain people, they commented on that it was ironic that I got it, which I think is incre- an incredible comment, an incredibly stupid comment, actually, because I'm not really that worried about COVID. So it wouldn't be ironic that I got it. It'd only be ironic if I got it, if I did everything in the world not to get it. Then it'd be ironic. It'd be yeah, it's much like the Alanis Morissette song, Ironic. The, the lyrics actually aren't ironic at all. Like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. As I think Ed Byrne, the Irish com- comedian, has a brilliant <laughs> set going over the song. That's just annoying. <laughs> I'm not even sure it'd be ironic if I tried to avoid it and still got it. That's just really, really unlucky. Well, the, the irony surely would come if you weren't that worried about it, but then it killed you. That's still unlucky, isn't it? That, 
That's that is ironic. That that would be ironic. So yeah. let's ho- let's hope that doesn't happen, JB. What if I thought it was going to kill me and it doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I'm glad, JB. I'm glad you're doing well. And and like Tim said, your Hugh Hefner vibe is um, obviously the bare chest, bare hairy chest with the um, dressing gown. That, of course, that um, makes it that initiates the Hugh Hefner vibe. But the five bottles of wine, prosecco, and spirits just over your right shoulder really accents it. With my globe, so I know where I've been. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, I will just tell you one more thing, thing about COVID, which isn't COVID, but still related to my COVID experience. So because I'm locked, I, you know, I, don't, didn't, I don't think it's dangerous to individuals, but I think once you've got it, you've got to take it seriously because it's not fair to put other people at risk. So you've got to stay in the house. You, you've got to, got to follow the rules. You've got to do all those things, right? So I'm thinking now, how am I going to feed myself? What am I going to do? And I thought the best thing for me to do now is to go through my kitchen and try and eat all the food that I possibly can until I need to do an online shop. Would you care to guess what I have in my house, Tim? Uh, I'm trying to think. You've got um, some, of those, some of those little coffee biscuits. <laughs> I do, actually, yes. <laughs> yeah, I've got coffee boss biscuits. Yeah, you've probably got loads of like kids' squeezy tube yogurts and things like that. Mm. Yes, I, I, I do. In addition to that, so I've got a real problem in my life, which is um, I live with hoarders. So we've got 11, no, sorry, 12 packets of pasta. We've got three nearly full opened packets of lentils. I've got five packets of basmati rice. Mate, you I've don't got... want to be saying this. If if we do have like apocalypse coming, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming around to yours, mate. Fine. Get this. Three packets of bulgur wheat. Three packets of bulgur wheat. But this, 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 this is the best one. A further three packets of chai seed. I have no idea what to do with chai seed. I think it's Kia, isn't it? Huh? Kia seed. Are they not called? Or is it chai seed? Is it Kia seed? Do you know what? They're quite good. They're quite good on um, like a a yogurt for breakfast kind of thing. If you have some Greek yogurt, Kia seeds on it, maybe a bit of fruit. Lovely. No, I don't have any yogurt in, mate. But what I could do is maybe put some milk into a flask and leave it by a radiator to make yogurt so i'm getting really um I'm getting really um inventive on uh, in, in how, how to feed myself the only protein i've got is a tin a tin of mackerel packet of um frozen beef liver and a can of corned beef so i might need to do a food shop somehow on, online tomorrow it's like a ready steady cook <laughs> yeah over 10 days but laced with covid <laughs> So speak, speaking of um, preserved and canned food, I can lend you, I've got a special can of protein-based food that I can lend you if you want, JB. I can drop it through your letterbox. What on earth would that be? So it is. Do you know what surströmming is? Surströmming. Oh, uh, yes. I, only because, Phil, I have seen a hilarious video of yes. a, a bloke is- and his kid trying to eat it and all he he can't actually put it in his mouth for the, for the <laughs> yeah. rich and weirdly phil is the only person i know who would eat that incredibly potently smelly fish yeah do, do you know the story behind it tim no phil tell him <laughs> so my understanding of this story behind it was uh some i'll get it the wrong way around but i think norwegian or, or swedish uh fishermen several hundred years ago tried to preserve a big barrel of herring, but they only had half the quantity of salt they needed. So they put it in anyway and left it for six months. And when they opened it, it was 
the worst smelling thing. It part putrefied and part preserved. And they thought, what on earth are we going to do with this? And they went somewhere um, up, I think it was Finland, they went to and basically sold it, fleeced it to some locals, sold it to them and went away, never thinking they'd do anything about it again. And then a year later, they went back to the same port and the locals were like, have you got any more of that um, partially pickled herring? <laughs> because apparently that while it smells, un- it's maybe the worst smelling food in the world. I've not opened this can yet. Maybe the worst smelling food in the world, but um, it is apparently very nice and a delicacy. So wow. I've got I've got a can that I am going to Thank try you, at baby. some point. Well, if I lose my taste through COVID, I'll happily join you with that. Disgusting. You can Rug- tell it's the off season, can't you? Yeah. Well, we're going to get very rugbyish in um, in a minute, so don't you worry we about are. that. Yeah, we are. We absolutely uh, are. If, before we go into the rugby, do you want to play a little game of guess the rugby players? Yes. Okay, so I'll, I'm going I'm to tell you a little scenario and then you've got to get from yes, no questions, who were the rugby players I saw? Oh. So on Saturday morning, I went for a little bit of breakfast in Altrincham, just down the road, went to Altrincham Market. And as I was strolling in between the tram stop and Altrincham Market, which is about 150 yards. Great Sunday morning spot, that. Yeah, oh, Yeah. Lovely, very, very, and we got there before it got too busy as well, full of screaming kids. Um, apart apart from my two, um, so there was a, a chap in front of me that I thought I recognized, and I was like, I can't quite place him. And then I saw there was two other people alongside him, I was like, Oh, I know who that is, I know who all three of those people are, and it was three rugby players. So we'll, we'll take it in turns. Yes, no questions only, starting with Tim Cocker. Okay. Do they play for Sale Sharks? No. Was it Will Addison? No. <sighs> do they play in the Premiership? Yes, two of them do. Are they English? Uh, yes, one of them is. Was one or more of them a one-time player of Sale Sharks? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, okay, so did, does the English player play in the Premiership? Yes. Does the player who used to play for Sale Sharks, assuming it was one, it might be more than one, um, do they now play for another English club? Yes. Ah. <laughs> okay, okay, because the three of them, this is really, and we're but, looking for all three or one person. So you can get a point per person. Yep. Um, and so there's three points available. Did one of them play in the backs? No, sorry, do all of them play in the backs? No. Right, right. Okay. Are they all still playing? No. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Oh, I, I, I'm really struggling. I'm really, really struggling. Only one of them's next sale shark player. <clears throat> I think so, yes. I will just double check that. And and that person is still currently playing for another Premiership club. Correct. I tell a lie. I tell a lie. Two of them. Two of them have played for Sale Sharks. Is the other person uh, okay? So there you go. Is the second Sale Sharks uh, former Sale Shark still playing for? Still well, still playing for another Premiership club. One of them is one of them. Mark Atkinson. No. Oh, I thought it was is one good... of them. James Gaskell. No. That's... Mike Haley. 
No. Have I said my Kenny already? No, I said Will Addison. Um, okay. D- does the does the second sale former sale shark who doesn't play in England still play? No. Dean Schofield. Nope. Are any of them involved in coaching? Uh, yes, but I'm not sure anymore. Okay. I have no so idea. The re- retired okay. one, I don't think he's... Okay. Is one of them Tom Brady? No. Charlie Hodgson? No. Um, I'm trying to think. So they, they've still got to be mates with a former sales shark who's currently playing at another club. Ah! Is one of them Carl Ferns? Nope. Is the former is the former is the player, person who's currently still playing in the Premiership a forward? No. Right. So, put- so it- someone who used to play for Sale is still playing in the Premiership. Is is not English, and is not a forward. Oh, not English. Oh, okay. No. Not English. There is there is one English among English chap amongst them, and he doesn't play for Wasps. He does not play for Wasps. Uh, There'll be people shouting at their radio, uh, <laughs> shouting at the podcast. I reckon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the rugby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have absolutely no idea. If you get the first one, if one of you gets the first one, someone will get the second one. Why do then... they? Do they hang around together? Would I? When you say one, would I have thought? Oh yeah, they all hang around together. Uh, certainly, two of them. You would think. Oh yeah, they, of course they would hang around together. Are they from? The Southern they, are, Hemisphere. No. Are they British? Yes. Are they Scottish? Yes. Oh. Scottish. Scottish. Uh, Scottish. It's not Richie Vernon because he was. No. He's not still playing. Are they an international level player? Both of them have played international. Are they? Were they in the re- most recent Scotland squad? Uh, yes, Six Nations, yeah. He's a back who's Scottish, still playing, most recent Scotland squad. You are missing, you're missing something that you are both going to kick yourselves. Is Chris, Chris Cassiter? But no, he's, <laughs> he's, he's ages ago. Um, oh, hold on a minute. So, what about Cameron Redpath? Cameron Redpath? Ding, 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 Cameron Redpath. Um, that's brilliant. Damn it. So who would Cameron Redpath have been with? Was he with his dad? Brian Redpath. Correct. So two points for Tim. And then the third one is someone that he is playing with now, um, which you you will need a few more questions to get this because it's not like, it's not obvious. Same age? Uh, About the same age, yeah. Don't like Will Stewart? Not Will Stewart. Forward though. Forward, yeah. From a bath forward? Yes. Josh Bayliss? No. Um, the other flanker who's very good? Um, Josh McNally? No. JV, you said you mentioned the other flanker who's very good? I can't remember his name. I cannot remember his name. Oh, I don't know. The other guy. The other guy. The other guy. Miles Reed. Miles Reed. Wow, Miles Reed is in Manchester. Miles Reed was in Altrincham with... Uh, with Cam Redpath and Brian Redpath. And I first saw Brian Redpath, I was like, his face looks familiar. And then I was like, Cam Redpath was alongside him. I was like, his face looks familiar, but I couldn't I couldn't put either of them on anything. I was like, do I because neither of those two stand out. They're just like normal looking blokes. And then Miles Miles Reed was alongside me like, that's Miles Reed. That's What's Cam Redpath. Like, that's he's Brian a very Redpath. distinctive looking bloke anyway, isn't he? Um 
very, very starstruck to see my. Yeah. How big is he in in person? He's pretty big. He didn't he didn't stand out that much. I mean, he's a lot. Both of them are quite a lot taller than Brian Redpath, who's quite short. Whereas the other two are uh, over six foot. What um, were they wearing? What sort of clothes are they wearing? Totally nondescript, like jeans and standard kind of jumpers. Like it was, there was nothing it, other than Miles Reed looking like Miles Reed, and he's a big bloke. Um, you wouldn't have looked twice at them at all. They were just three totally normal looking dudes. I'm trying to work that out. So Brian Redpath must still live up here then. I oh, assume yeah. so. Yeah, that was my thinking. But and interesting that, that Cameron that, must have said Miles come for a weekend in Manchester. Yeah, they'll have a rest weekend from the preseason and just fancied a go, few uh, few beers. Go on the terrace. Why not? Eh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well that was cool. it. That's, that's a cool spot. <laughs> So, that so took... Apologies for how long it took. That's, that's, <laughs> that's on me and JB, not on Phil. That did take a lot. Look, JB, I thought your um, repertoire of ex-sale players would have. I thought you'd be like that. Yeah, I'd, I would not. I would not got a camera path for a long, long time. A long time. <laughs> so Tim, Tim wins. Yes. Maybe, maybe it's COVID. It's more serious than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you. Once again, Jay, I'm glad. I'm really glad you're well. Thank you. Right, uh, championship. Who watched that? Yes. Yeah, I did. So, uh, can, can I just say one thing before we talk about like the, the the teams that won and all the rest of it? Can I just say Australia almost don't deserve Michael Hooper? <laughs> I don't know. I always think that Michael Hooper doesn't deserve the praise he gets. That's that's what I think. Oh, I love I, I love hoops. Yeah, everybody loves him because he's bloody flashy. He does <laughs> pieces. But honestly, now would you take Michael Hooper over Ben Curry? Or Tom, no, Ben Curry. Let's go Ben Curry. Forget Tom Curry. I, I would. I, I think I think Flashy is, um, I, I think he gets praised for being Flashy. I think he does so much hard work as well. I think he does so he much. His work rate is unbelievable. And yeah. what is it? he must be, he must only be 30 now. Maybe not even 30. Yeah, he might be under 30 with over 100 caps. I'm just not, I just don't know where I sit with this guy. Because... Let's compare him to another all-time loser as captain, Sergio Parisi, right? <laughs> now, there's no two ways why Sergio Parisi is a wonderful player. And we know this because of his club career. He's done really well in his club career. Michael Hooper has won Super Rugby with the Waratahs. Yeah, with, uh, with the Waratahs. In 2014, I want to say. Yeah. But other than that, like, the cupboard is fairly bare for what he's actually achieved. Now, he runs around great. His hair goes everywhere, which makes him look very dramatic. Good carry of the ball. But I don't think he's even close to Tom Curry. I actually think um, people like Sam Underhill, Willis, most of the English sevens are, be- uh, are better than him at being a seven. I'm not sure they're better rugby players. Um, I think he's probably more in the mould of Justin Tipperick, which is he's probably better all around, but maybe just not the out-and-out brilliant seven that everyone makes him out to be. I, th- I think that's maybe a little bit harsh. I, I think he is. I think he is class. And and like Parise, uh, if you're playing in a team that is not up to up to standard, you are always going to struggle. But mm. he was he was part of um, part of the team that got to the World Cup final in 2015. Yeah, fair. Um, I, I think he, I think he's a quality all round player, and he can do the flashy stuff. He does a lot of hard work. Hell of a yeah. lot. He, look, he's he's a good player. I or I guess what I'm trying to say is I just don't think he's one of the best sevens. In fact, I think South Africa probably got three better sevens. 
Like the performance of Van Staden uh, when he plays is phenomenal. And he's like the third best seven in South Africa. Yeah, he... Leicester can be quite excited about him, can't they? <laughs> yes, massively excited. He's going to be pretty good. Yeah. Isn't he more of a six? Is it South African seven? I think so. He's yeah. a South African seven, yeah. No, 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 no. no he will be um, Premiership seven. You reckon? Yeah. Yeah, he's not that big. I mean, he's he's built like a tank. Do you know who he's a little bit like? Uh, Sean O'Brien, I guess. Okay, to the tank. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Than, you know, I I did everything in reverse this weekend. So I saw on Twitter all the adulation about this game, but I didn't actually find out the result. And as people think putting stuff on Twitter like rugby's back or oh that's that's better and this is what rugby's supposed to look like, yada yada yada. I thought, wow, this is going to be on a hell of a game. So I turned it on. Uh, the first 20 minutes, brilliant. Loved it. thought, yeah, okay, this is... I mean, I've started re- writing all my notes about the game. By the start of the second half, I just turned it off. I mean, there is absolutely no point in watching this when it's 57 points to... What, uh, what did Australia even get? Was it 20? 22, I think. 22. Uh, it was 22. Yeah. What's the, what is the point? Um, the All Blacks were just so, so much better. And people talk about the international game being so tight it's a game of inches and all the big games have gone nonsense the All Blacks bought 57 I mean look at the premiership when's the last time you saw 57 points I mean it might happen once or twice a season in a couple of, handful of games but not at the highest level of the game so when people are slamming the Lions and South Africa for the way that they play my word give me that every day of the week over this offloading soft nonsense which we have to endure for the Bladders Low Cup well the, the difference there is for, for me, it's not the style of play. It's the closeness and the competitiveness. Because a competitive game, you can have a 80-point incredibly competitive game. Take the Premiership final, for example, or, or the, the Bristol Harlequins game in the semi-final, um, which were exciting and on the knife edge um, for, for most of the game after um, Quinn's come back from 28-0 down in the first semi. Um, with free-flowing rugby, or you can have an incredibly close arm wrestle. And it's the fact that it's both of them are incredibly exciting because it's a competitive game. Any any game where a team wins by nearly 40 points, where, where at halftime you know the game is done, is not interesting. And I'd, I'd actually say the same thing about the South, South Africa-Argentina game. I was mm. dipping in and out of that a little bit, but it never, even though it was a South African second team, it never looked like Argentina were going to break down their defence. It never looked like they were going to be score, so, and therefore probably, it never looked like it was going to be a close yeah. and competitive game. So it, yeah. was a, it was the second team back line. It was the it was the pretty much full strength pack, wasn't it, for South Africa? Uh, they changed a few That's bits it. and pieces. Dweeber and Oxniche came in in the front row uh, and Vilcolo. So you you changed you changed, oh, yeah. you changed up the the front row. Um, but yeah, there, there were. I mean, Etzebeth, Khaleesi, and uh, Lude. That's fairly handy in any team. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where I will change my opinion on this is when the All Blacks meet South Africa, and if All Blacks can play like this against South Africa, well, then you know, hats off. That is, in- it's only incredible rugby if your opposition is incredible. That's what I'm saying. Otherwise, yeah. pointless. And let's stop praising them for it. I, so I would I would agree that it is only it's it's most incredible when your opposition is incredible and I, I am I cannot wait for the South Africa New Zealand game because it is ice meets fire it's, yeah. it's what 
what are we expecting? What is going to happen in that? And I, I, I can't, I can't work it out. I do um, want. Go on. I, I will be a little bit disappointed if we end up with only twenty six minutes of rugby, though, because that's the, the bit with South Africa is, um, and they they didn't do it in this game, but it certainly did in the second and third test against the Lions. Is people people will criticize South Africa for, um, being boring but being totally dominant in lineouts and scrums and around the park and at the breakdown is not boring. No. Having an having a incredible defensive structure is not boring. It, it suffocates the other team, but it is not boring. Having a strategy of, of kicking and catching is not in itself boring, but um, basically managing your injuries or, or almost feigning injuries at times. So you only get 26 minutes of rugby that is boring, and I don't want to see that against the All Blacks because that w- that will not be how the All Blacks will want to play. No, so, no. I, I've had so many people get in touch and uh, and tweet and message when that stat came out because I, how how often on our podcast over the last year or two have we been talking about ball in playtime and have I been saying it does not get put on TV during live broadcast because it, because in many occasions it would be embarrassing for the for mm-hmm. sport to admit to its viewers how little rugby gets played. And that was brought into sharp relief. And I'm really glad that that conversation is being had because, as you say, Phil, 26 minutes in that third test is abysmal. Yeah. That, that, is, that is boring. <laughs> if, you're, if you're only getting, well, you're getting a third of what you were expecting. But it depends what's going on in, in those minutes played. Now, if it is the remainder of it, purely players rolling around pretending to be hurt. I'm, I'm with you. But if it's reset scrums because South Africa are absolutely pounding somebody or there's a fight that breaks out or you know it has to go to the TMO because someone's got a, an elbow to the eye, it, it is what it is. The, the, the game manifests itself in many different ways. Now, I'm not saying I want every game to be like that, but it's because those games are like that which makes the more expansive games interesting. Now, this one wasn't interesting because it was a beatdown, but it all has to be in context. That's why you need the occasional six three. That's exactly quite valuable. Yeah, but the uh, the TMO um, stopping to check an elbow to the eye, that, the clock's off for that. That the, mm. the what, what South Africa did, and you could I mean you could say successfully they did it because no one stopped them from doing it is walking very 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 slowly to a line out. Yeah, getting every grade a uh, blade of grass off the bottom of their boot before every single scrum. T- tape and I, tape and retape the same. Ankle, knee, shoulder. Every 10 minutes. So, and that does enable, when you're aware, and I think South Africa, it's very shrewd on their part. They should have been stopped from doing it. Um, but they're, it was very shrewd because they were probably aware their conditioning due to the buildup that they'd had wasn't where it would have been in the World Cup, for example. And so they need to, to yeah, it's just a, a strategy to manage their conditioning. But dovetailing this in with another conversation, and Sam Warburton's been very vocal this week, so is Ian McGeekin, that they've been suggesting that the number of replacements should be cut from eight to four for because they think that it's dangerous. The number of replacements enables more players to play less rugby, which enables them to be bigger, which means the collisions are greater, which means there's more chance of injury, especially at the end of a game when some players are knackered and some are coming on completely fresh probably the ball in playtime it you you could do would be an alternative way to not have to cut the number of replacements 
ball in play time. So the clock corresponds with how long the ball is in play. Like the NFL. In or, a way. Or just, is that what you mean? Or just if you increase the ball in play time, then players have to be fitter and smaller. So, so yeah, so if, if you take more than 10 seconds to set your lineup up or you're not ready to go for a scrum, then free kick, repeated free kicks, it's a penalty. Just get get just let the boys play. Just get on with it. Yeah. What about um what about a time limit? So the reason I say a time limit is because when we are coaching lineups, we did uh at Talk H, we did a thing where we we tried to challenge ourselves to set up a line out and get the ball in within sixteen seconds of anywhere on the field. Okay. So if you could kick it to wherever it, so you kick it wherever it goes and the ball would go out. And our pack have got 16 seconds to get there, set, get up, get down. And the theory is, if we can do this quick enough, fast enough, we will get get there before the opposition go up and down and, and away. What if the new law was, okay, from the time the ball was kicked, there is 10 seconds to play it, or it's a turnover? Wow. So if, if you, if you uh, successfully um, put in place a 90-meter or 100-meter kick, you've got to be Usain Bolt to, to play that. Yeah, exactly. So maybe it's not 10 seconds, but maybe it's 20 seconds. And the rule is it's got to be set. You've got to have your line out set within 20 seconds from the um, from uh, ball leaving boot or, or when, like, like when it's marked. So I actually think that's a fairly good... It's got to be ready to go in. Yeah, so, I think quite a lot of it can just be referees just not accepting but, any unnecessary slowing down of anything and in the case of goal kicks for example you could it would actually be quite fun the second a try is given you know sometimes you need to go to the tmo and check it but the second is right no try a a, a 60 second clock starts counting down in the stadium would actually be quite quite a fun spectacle don't we have that no well no no clock uh, counts down and i've never i've never seen a a, no, a clock does, mate. It's um, it's ninety seconds. It's now sixty seconds. Uh, yeah, but it's on the it's on the referee's um, discretion. So the referee will be checking that. But there's not a there's not a big screen in the stadium showing fifty nine, fifty eight, fifty seven. Do you know what? I'm sure there used to be. I'm sure it used to be a a, a graphic on Sky Sports. Absolutely positive of that because when it changed, they started doing it, and then also the referee will let you know when you can charge it down. Oh, what when the time's up? Yeah, yeah. That I, that's. But I think it's from when they put the ball on the tee rather than from when the try is scored. Mm. Okay. But from when the try is scored, that would be quite exciting. But the problem is, of course, I try. It's not going to speed things up that much because how many tries go to TMO? So you're telling the players, "Come on, lads, sixty seconds, get it over, do your thing." Well, he's probably been stood there for for three minutes whilst you've been chatting to your mates, and then you've got sixty seconds starting. Yeah, can I stop it's, it's still nonetheless 60 seconds of ball in playtime that is only yeah. taken up and not a second more. Just just um, eliminate the knock-on. Eliminate that, yeah. that would do eliminate it. Eliminate the knock-on. Honestly, at some point, someone else will take all the credit for that, JB. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> and it will be the greatest change to Rugby Union. It will solve the, the ball in playtime. It will solve the size of the players. And it's the one... So it, there is a silver bullet. That phrase, there's no no silver bullet. There is. There is a silver bullet. We're a little bit all over the place here. So let's just go back and address that issue about the subs. 
Um, Michael Alwyn, uh, a man with many interesting opinions, um, was on Twitter saying he doesn't see it as a solution to player welfare. I think I agree with him, actually. Uh, I, I, you know, like you said, the, there's no silver bullet. Another way to put, to put that is uh, there's no solutions, only trade-offs. So exposing more players to more rugby doesn't sound to me like it's a great way to reduce injuries. And we've just got to sort of decide how we're going to square the circle of injuries. And do we just accept it? Because I've heard recently, as I've heard for years now, someone will die playing rugby. I have no no doubt that someone will die playing rugby. I think it is sadly something which we're destined, it's something that's destined to happen. But the reason we're so upset about it is because it will probably be due, or I don't know if it probably, but it might be due to a collision or contact. And that is particularly brutal, particularly to the um, to the outside observer. But already we've had players die in football. And the reason they've died is because the strenuous activity of football is to such an extreme now. You know, you've got people dying of heart defects because that's how hard the sport is. And I think when you're playing elite level sport, when players are pushing themselves to the absolute limit, occasionally it's going to get very dangerous. I, I just think that's the way it is. Yeah, I, I, I am sympathetic to that, JB. And I think something we touched on a few weeks ago, so I won't go overall ground. I'll just make, make the point very quickly that there is a general across society uh, lack of... There's a huge risk aversion. Yeah. And, and, a, and an unwillingness to accept certain risks which are perhaps unavoidable, regardless of what you do. Yeah, yeah. And I just think as well, the risk of rugby is more obvious to people. It's not obvious to people that if you run really hard for a prolonged period of time, you might die of a heart attack or have a very serious heart attack. But sadly, it's happened in football quite frequently. But we don't say, hey, footballers need to run less. We just say, well, you know, what's the game? A living, breathing example of that. Odd choice of words there. But uh, um, Steve Redgrave has taken years off his life he was he's been advised you you will more than likely die much uh years before you would have done because of the strain that you've put on your body with the you know diabetes and stuff that you had and yet working at, yeah. a, at, at that elite level over for 24 years yes it's mad and what, what these guys put themselves across all the sports is absolutely insane but yeah um maybe it will reduce injuries of a certain type but it won't reduce injuries well and that's where I am. And we we actually spoke about this a while ago when it came up and there was a, a very good um, Ross Tucker, um, Science of Sport, um, Twitter thread on this, basically making the point that we don't know at the moment what the um, predominant cause of injury is, whether it's, um, as these ex-lions are suggesting, is a power um, side um, issue when players are fresher, they are more explosive, and therefore they have um, they can cause more more injuries, or whether it's a fatigue type model, or, or whether it's six of one and half a dozen of the other, or whether it's eighty uh, percent the power and twenty percent the fatigue. And what you can actually see is if it's more of a fatigue model that causes more of the injuries by having fewer replacements, you are going to increase the rate of injury. Now, yeah. We don't have the data on which one it is, and I, I suspect it is six of one, half a dozen of the other, or it's like a 60-40 split on both of them. But you can clearly see by changing it totally in one direction, 
that you will massively increase the risk of injury from the other direction, which just this proposal, when I read it, it just did not look thought through. It looked so, so misaligned to the data, which we don't, we simply don't have at this moment in time. It feels very much something must be done regardless of what that thing is. Yeah. And and I agree. And there is a tendency to try and find very simple a to B solutions for very nuanced, complicated equations. Yeah, absolutely. With, with with no thought for the law of unintended consequences. And you could clearly like this could be if, if it is more of a fatigue model or even if it's not more of a fatigue model, even if it is more, more um, power, but you will like the fatigue element, the increased fatigue will make up some of that difference. Like you could, you could make things worse or you can make things a, a tiny, tiny bit better, but we don't actually know which way it would go at this moment in time. So this is uh, another example of where my rugby needs to behave more like the National Rifle Association argument comes in. So I, I, I'm now of the opinion that rugby should behave like the, like, like the NRA, which is, no, this is a sport and, and, and we'll sort it out. There's no pandering to any um, outside bodies. There's not even pandering to people who are inside the game trying to change it. The answer is, here is the game. We have decided it is settled. You, we will change it maybe one day but it's completely up to us. This is the game, except the risk. And is that part of your JV 2022 now um, campaign? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. as soon as you start, as soon as you start giving ground on any of these issues, people start saying, well, you're not serious. I mean, you say you're serious, but you're not serious, or you do what I say. And you go, no, actually, we're not serious. So um, we'll all have to move on. <laughs> and and I, I do get that and everyone has the best of intentions JB whether you agree disagree every single suggestion and Sam Warburton this week with Ian McGeekin as well I mean they know a lot more about rugby than we ever will well I'm not sure about that but still go on. <laughs> uh, and they've, they've made a suggestion which for, for the reasons we've discussed I think is a too blunt an instrument you're cracking a, a nut with a sledgehammer and it's, it's, it's not going to work and the law of unintended consequences and all of that but it's it's with the very best of intentions that all these people do suggest it but it does make me whenever these conversations whenever i see these stories getting national coverage it does really make me worry, worry for the for the sport yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah i my solution is simple accept the risk move on well, i actually quite like a solution that you proposed um a little while ago jv which you just come off Twitter, everyone, all, all clubs come off Twitter, the RFU come off like, because Twitter yeah. is a... <laughs> this is a serious conversation that I had with the social media manager of a premiership club, which is, why Why are you even on? What, what, what good can possibly come, come of it? All you get is abused by the same characters over and over again. I, I, I've pretty much stopped tweeting now because of the abuse, which is just flowing around the disingenuous na- nature of it. But the influence... You're appealing to this tiny, tiny vocal vocal minority. The, the best example of this is whenever, whenever anyone is concussed, if they don't come off immediately, there's about 100 tweets saying how rugby isn't taking concussion seriously. Like, it is so disingenuous because rugby takes concussion incredibly seriously, but people are using the platform of Twitter to further their own gain, not because they care. N- never, ever assume people whinging on Twitter is because they care. It's not. Now, I, I stayed off Twitter for the all Blacks Wallabies game this week, but I did notice last week there was there was more about the All Blacks being um, oh, there's it? more about abuse than there was about 
that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, more about and that that's just a sign of Twitter for me. So it's like, why why are you on here? Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, now back to the game because we actually haven't discussed the game. Um, first twenty minutes were actually quite. They were actually fairly impressive. And I know I've just absolutely smashed into Australia before. And I think it's very unbecoming for the Australians to have to rely on the New Zealand commentary team to build up their performance, which was pretty dreadful, actually. But in the first 20, 20 minutes, there were some good there was some, you know, good parts. I thought Tate McDermott looked okay. Uh, Callaway finished his try up absolutely brilliantly. I mean, that was a great finish. Two tries. Uh, uh, when did he get his second one? Uh, I think it was in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, that'll be why I don't know about that. <laughs> um, and also, Will Jordan got one hell of a beating uh, by um, Co- uh, Co- Corabetti. Corabetti, yes. Yeah. Um, and Australia were, they were in the game. They scored that try uh, just on the stroke of half time, to which made it, was that 15 22? I think it made it. Yeah. Um, and they were in the game. And then just kind of collapsed. Yeah, there was one bit which really got me excited, and I thought, "Yes, it's gonna be a hell of a game." When the Australian number eight, remind me of his name, doesn't matter, runs straight off. off, off, off. No, no, Valentini. Valentini. Oh, yeah. I like him. Um, he has a great first ten minutes, um, which isn't. A, well, I guess that's damning with faint praise, isn't it? Um, but he <laughs> comes steaming off the back of back, back off a line out. Right into uh, Audi Surveyor, and they just absolutely collide. It was it, it was wonderful to see. And I'm thinking, yeah, this this is this is really going to go well. And then Tom Banks's little little dummy kick, I really enjoyed. Really enjoyed that too. And yeah, he's, then he's a nice player, Tom Banks. Yeah, gone. Do you think the problem with Southern Hemisphere rugby? And I say Southern Hemisphere rugby, I mean Australia, I guess. <laughs> is when you watch Australia, you do get the feeling you're not seeing the best Australian team you, you could see because of their policies around selection wow. and their ability to bring people back. It's funny you mention that because the the Gitto law, as it's as it was dubbed, is going to be scrapped. I mean, okay, okay, I see. I see why you might do it if you had hundreds of players lining up to take the Wallaby shirts. But when all of your best second rows play overseas and, you know, you've got lads playing in France, like Liam Gill, who could easily have racked up loads of caps. He's one of the better players in all of the top 14 and no one even knows about him in, uh, in Australia. Yeah, I just wonder if we look at Australia, we're not seeing the best version of Australia and that therefore feeds into uh, the overall decline, decline of the sport because they clearly don't have the talent based in Australia to win anything yeah um, I, I, I think there definitely is something there it, it was done with the, the best intentions um, i.e. to get longer access to your players get, get some consistency um, have them all available all of the time um, but it has meant that because rugby in Australia is not certainly rugby union in Australia is not as lucrative as it could be. The salaries are lower if you stay in Australia. Therefore, you are going to retain um, an overall weaker squad than it could be. So like South Africa, for example, they just couldn't do it. And yep. they, they, they recognise that from... Um, it's less of a rugby um, fan base perspective. It's more of a 
economic perspective, a, a national economic perspective, but they, they simply could not do without their um, European stars. Yeah, and it also feels that South Africa do a far better job of producing replacements because if you need to pump up a premiership team, you go to the Sharks and you pick up these players who no one's ever heard of and they're monsters. And I think they do a really good job of fusing together their Europe-based players or their South African-based players, far more so than uh, Australia do. Now, granted, there's obvious, obvious geographical restrictions there, but they must be doing something in South Africa which, it, which far exceeds what they do in Australia, both in terms of the mixing of the two types of player and the development of new players to take the players' places once they go. Well, yeah. a, a, a big part of that, there's probably two things at play there. One, South Africa, roughly population-wise, is twice the size of Australia. Mm. Uh, but two, rugby union is the biggest sport in South Africa. Yeah, rugby, rugby union is maybe the fourth biggest sport in Australia, maybe the fifth biggest sport. Um, and and there are other um, contact sports, i.e. NRL, Rugby League and AFL, um, that will be taking a lot of the prime talent, the prime yeah. beef, out of the market. Yeah, that's fair. So I think, yeah, Australia. Also, this sort of um, ties in with the fact that when you look at Australia now, and I'd, I'd, I'd apply this to England and Ireland as well, I understand why they do it, but it just doesn't, doesn't sit right with me that to represent your country you have to your job opportunities are limited it just doesn't does not feel right it's a good loss of national sport as far as i'm concerned it the only way i can really reconcile that is the geographic stuff i mean you're absolutely right about english players going to france or irish players playing somewhere else i mean there's no reason you can't fly an irish back an Irish guy back from from England or an English guy back from France. But there is a good reason not to spend thousands of pounds on airfares and hours in the sky to get someone back to Australia. Yeah, well, I mean, a coach could a coach could make that call. Oh, I'm going to get that person for a day less or they're not going to be in. Yeah, yeah. They can make a call. If it's a 50-50, do you know what? I'm going to go with the guy that's an hour down the road, not the guy that's so that, um, in Japan. But, uh, but that's why it's called the ghetto law, because he's ace. yeah. Well, he, he wouldn't have hurt. If, I mean, he's just won MRL. Um, he wouldn't have hurt Australia's chances. I mean, it's a slightly regressive policy to pick him, but he's still a quality operator. Yeah. Give it a go. Couldn't have got any worse. <laughs> so on the uh, South Africa-Argentina game, Sia Khaleesi said Argentina were more physical than the Lions. Uh, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to say. <laughs> he's clearly wrong. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there, there's no... There's no like mitigating circumstance here. It's not like it could have been from his perspective. He's just wrong. There's no there's no other way to phrase that. I I can't help but think it's Razzie just wanting to bait a load of British journalists and, and British and Irish rugby fans by by getting Khaleesi on mention. Oh Khaleesi, this will wind them all up. Say this. And yeah. Oh yes, boss, definitely. Oh have you heard about what those dross merchants in on the Wales Online are reporting. I, I do. I will never go anywhere near the Wales Online. So no, you you have to enlighten me. Well, I wouldn't go near Wales Online, but people send me this stuff, <laughs> and uh, they're reporting that South Africa could be stripped of their Lions Test victory uh, due to I don't know misconduct or some. I mean, uh, 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 aside from it being as clickbaity as you possibly want, and these guys should not be able to call themselves journalists. They're an absolute disgrace. 
uh, aside from those two things. Um, if that was actually true, does anyone think the Lions won the Test Series? <laughs> yeah, when, uh, when's the open top bus parade? <laughs> yeah, yeah, get them on. <laughs> get Courtney on the podcast. Congratulations, mate. Well done, mate. How's it feel? How's it feel? But yeah, pretty, pretty poor. Yeah, I can't see where Cleese has got that from. I can see it, see it being a wind, wind up. Anyone who watched the test series, which were absolutely phenomenally physical, and then the Argentina game, which was, well, you know, it was what it was. Can't say that they're comparable. I mean, there was definitely some physical elements, but certainly it goes back to the point we made before that you can have, you can have physicality, you can have um, free-flowing skills, and if, it, if it's a one-sided game, it will be far less entertaining for the viewer than if it is an arm wrestle right to the 78th minute when Mornay staying inevitably slots a penalty. Yeah. Now, on South Africa's second team, they've got a nice-looking second team, haven't they? Their second team backs in particular. Uh, in particular. Outside of Elton Yanchis, who is a little... I was going to say fly half the one position. I think they've got problems. Mm, yeah, yeah, well, how do they... Milton Yanchis is your second choice. Is, who's their real second choice, though? I, I wonder. I, so, so now that he's back in the country uh, and he's got um, extensive experience of manage, being the commercial manager for a yeah. uh, enormous farm, Johan yeah. Usen. You know, I mean, he put, he put in a performance for the Bulls against South Africa, a, a that he was the best player, certainly the best fly half on the pitch in that, in that game. So I think he might get some more game time. And, and he's, he's one of the highest paid, or certainly he was one of the highest paid um, commercial managers slash fly half slash 13 slash fullbacks in the world for a period of time. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking uh, Rob Dupree. But anyway, yes. Um, <laughs> a phenomenal signing for, um, a, a phenom- yeah, phenomenal person for South Africa to bring up as a, as a second choice or even their first choice. He, uh, he's that good. And maybe he could work for Owen Farrell after he retires because presumably he'll have some South African land that needs managing. <laughs> Talking of uh, absolutely incredible fly halves, um, Finn Russell has been very open and honest this week. Have you seen his comments about the Lions tour? No. I've Just... seen, seen the headline. Yeah, so he's, I mean, he, he's been just very honest. And I don't think he said anything controversial particularly, but it's it's quite unusual for a player to be, to not just keep it to himself. But Finn Russell has said he was frustrated by the way that the Lions played and we should have tried to play more. I mean, a lot of the things that journalists have said and which pundits have said and all the rest of it, but it's just coming from one of the players that was out there on the tour. And he said he was watching the opening 10 minutes of the final test thinking, I thought we were going to be more expansive. What are we doing? We're just doing the same thing again. And all we've done is play off nine, which plays right into their defence. And so he actually, when he came on, actively just said to everyone, right, we're doing this. And grab, grab and did it differently. Much like he did England, Scotland. Yeah, the 37-all draw. Yeah, well, it's a problem, isn't it? It's a gift and a curse. Um, it's a gift when it goes right, because he's phenomenal. But it's also a curse because, like, coaches matter, and their game plan matters, but also they have an ego. And if you think the thing which you've planned out in meticulous detail is going to get derailed by one maverick fella, then maybe you don't pick him. 
you know, and that and that's the problem. I'm a huge fan of the guy, absolutely huge fan. But I understand why you'd be worried if you'd gone through the the effort of six or seven weeks worth of game planning just for Finn Russell to change it. Yeah, but trust Finn. Let Finn do whatever he wants. Coaches don't do that, mate. Coaches are so wrapped up in their own importance that, yeah. And believe you me, if someone does anything else other than the lineups that I've prescribed, well, then I go wild, absolutely wild. So you know, you you do the things that we've we've trained to do. There, there is also other Finn Russell news this week. That oh yes, it could be a match made in heaven. Finn Russell and Strong Zero. <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> heaven heaven yeah i guess i guess that's where it could end um <laughs> i would i, I, I finn russell's one of the one of the top three players in world rugby i'd love to go for a beer with and do you know what the worst part about this is i nearly did have a beer with him in monaco oh yeah but i was too shy to say to say hello him ryan wilson and somebody else were having a grand old time yeah there was uh there was one point when we got our taxi back to Nice, because unlike all the rugby players, we weren't staying in Monaco. No. And when we got our very, like, when we got our taxi, which when you go from Nice to Monaco is 30 euros. When you go from Monaco to Nice, it's 150 euros. <laughs> it, it was four in the morning, though. <laughs> yeah. When we were waiting for our taxi, Finn Russell was stood outside the, uh, the venue but he wasn't really i didn't feel like i could approach him at that point either no no <laughs> or if i had approached him i don't think i would have got a lot out of him <laughs> um, jb that reminds me we can't go through this podcast without mentioning that next time we go to monaco if we ever do again we will be able to stay in monaco yes we will yes because we will. because you've bought a boat <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Phyllis Mabel arrived. I, have I told you about the Phyllis Mabel yet on the podcast? You've mentioned oh. you bought it, but you but at that point you hadn't even knew you didn't even know how you were going to get it from Dartmoor to North Wales. Dartmouth. Dartmouth, so, I beg your pardon. Yeah, so I was scouring the in scour, oh, okay. So I started off on this journey by kayaking into the sea in Wales and thinking I'd love to have a I'd love to have a small boat to go fishing. But well, I can't do much with a small boat because well I have to keep it and pay for it and whatnot. So I thought, not a small boat, I'll have a big boat and I can rent it out as an Airbnb. So I went from a kayak to a 38-foot motor yacht. So she was built in 1970. She was named the Phyllis Mabel after the owner's wife. And it turns out the owner's wife has got a fascinating story. She used to fly Spitfires during the war. And I assume it wasn't as a pilot, so it must have been a delivery from the the factory over to the airfields, which I think is phenomenally cool. Amazing. Yeah. So the Phyllis Mabel arrived on Friday. We put her up on blocks with Horst on the door whilst we do a paint job, clean the bilge, just uh, look look at the engines, get her back in the water either October or April. And by next May, if you want to stay on the Phyll- Phyllis Mabel in Conway Marina, just let me know because she will be available for you to, uh, for you to stay on. Will, will you be sailing her at, at any point? If I have enough spare time to sail her, it means that she's not getting rented out uh, as a holiday let so um, I'll be doing something wrong but I do intend to take her out once or twice maybe the Egg Chasers cruise mm. and we... we we could we could go to um, we, could, we could go to Monaco we could have a stop off in I don't know Bristol then La Rochelle <laughs> then Lisbon <laughs> then Barcelona no what's that 
Well, uh, well, I'm thinking about places. Well, in English rugby, there's nowhere with a port. Maybe Bristol, I guess. You could Bristol, do that. Yeah. Maybe. But not really. But in France, there's loads of places that we could stop off. Um, now, of course, it'd have to be on the Atlantic coast because otherwise it's got to go around, go around Spain. But La Rochelle's definitely on the agenda. La Rochelle, Beeritz and Bayonne. Uh, and uh, who was the team that those the, the English players, Darren Barry and uh, Henry Trinder, went to at the end Ro- of the season? Rhone. Yeah, is Rhone. that is that on the coast? Good question. It's north. It's I mean, that... very north, I think. Uh, but I don't, I don't think it's on the coast. Let's have a look. Uh, it's got a river. It's about twenty miles from the coast on on the Seine. So if you can sail up the Seine. Yeah, what about over anywhere on Dublin's got a port and Belfast. Yeah, Belfast. We could do that. The problem with Belfast, though, is all the games happen in winter, and I do not fancy crossing the Irish Sea. <laughs> so, it may, it, in with the greatest of respect, in summer, <laughs> I do not fancy crossing <laughs> the Irish Sea in, in your boat. We could do. It is. You, you want to see? It's it's seaworthy. It's a bloody massive. We could do. We could do Glasgow, Belfast, Dublin. That would be a pretty cool trip. Uh, I do actually think the Belfast is more than doable. And then, more... then Cork and Galway. Jer- hmm. Championship game, Jersey. Yeah. That one. That's the one, Jersey. Uh, as is Bournemouth Sevens. That, 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 that's massively on, on, on the radar too. Mm, awesome. But I can, uh, you know, don't, if I'm taking her out, she's not getting, getting rented out. So, you know. Uh, What's the point of was the, I don't understand having a boat because I love. You, you said it started with you going. Oh, I'd love to have a boat to fish on, and now now it's a flat. Yeah, <laughs> the thing is, and this sounds weird. I do love owning things, which other people can can, can enjoy for a price. I, I, I just like do. I just like building nice things. So come that, up, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly right. Exactly with, right. With that, with that Hefner outfit, you've got and my belt there, mate. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, look forward to the egg, for the egg, for the egg chasers cruise. Uh, but 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 Finn Russell could end up in Japan. Michael Checker is the new head coach at the club that it wasn't it the one that Alex Good was at. I can't remember which one it is now. Uh, <sighs> so it's reported as Green Rockets. Green Rockets. But I don't know if that was. It might have been the one that but, helped. Uh, Michael Checker is making an audacious effort to to get him to uh, leave Racing ninety two and become the world's most uh, the world's highest paid rugby player for a million pounds per year for the next couple of years. I don't know about that. I don't know about that because yes, he can have the money, but I suspect Finn Russell will get the money at some point anyway by winning top four teams in European cups. I, I think. Well, it, I seem to remember part of the reason he went to Racing, at least part of it was he he'd had quite a lot of concussions in a, in a small window of time. And yeah. I think he thought I better make bank while I can. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, that was part part of the reason, was it not? Mm. I seem to remember he had a lot of concussions, and I think it, it might have just been a I, I better yeah. just in case it all comes to an end. I, I'll put uh, I'll put my hand up and say I've never seen a Green Dragons game. I, I don't know what the atmosphere. I don't know if, it's, if are they called Green Dragons. Have I just made that up? What are they called Green Rockets. Green Rockets. It right. won't be as cool as the Thunderdome. That's what I'm saying. I mean, by all means, 
go and play the rest of your football in Saudi Arabia once you finish with Barcelona. But make sure you really have finished at Barcelona first. Because playing at Racing in that stadium with the players and the budget and the coaches and everything which you're afforded in, you know, in a town like Paris, that's a really, really special opportunity. I don't yeah. think just yet. And, and the other thing is, I reckon at some point there's going to be a night out Finn Russell and Lionel Messi now. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need to go yet. It's a lovely idea to get a, a, a million quid. Mind you, how much is he getting paid in Racing? It can't be a small amount. I think it's six or seven hundred K or something, I think. It, yeah, it'll be that kind of money. And he'd have to give up his Scotland money. And I'm not saying that's going to make up the rest of the 300k, but it is something. Well, he might not have to make, because the Japanese season is pretty short. So that, that's why a lot of South African and, and Australian and New Zealand players yeah. go you there. Go for an, an intense, like, three or four months, get a million quid. Yeah, that's quite cool, actually, isn't it? When you think about it like that. What yeah. if you could do, uh, take a pay cut from Racing to go play for the Green Rockets and then, you know, <laughs> fourth. Mm. Maybe. No, it's, a, it's a cricketer type model, which, like Laz Phil said, that's what a lot of South African players. That's how South Africa do keep a bunch of their players playing in South Africa because they go, yeah, you can go and do a Japanese season, then come back. Yeah, that's quite a nifty idea, actually, for South Africa. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I hope he stays in Paris. That's my final thoughts on that one. <clears throat> so that that's all the news this week. If you if you can call what we've been talking about for the preceding however long it's been news we were going to do some previews this week weren't we jb yeah we were we're going to go through all of the premiership teams because we tried this in the past and we've always run out of weeks so actually (coughs) perfect week to start so we've got two weeks of three three weeks of three two weeks of two is that right correct and have a look at some of the clubs in the premiership because the season starts a bit later this uh this year doesn't it it's the middle of september 17th so we've got Five weeks, five weekends till the Premiership starts, including although, the one we're in now. Although the English rugby calendar really starts on the 4th of September. when Tock H. Um, no, a bigger game, actually. Ooh. I make my debut in Sunday Park for Ben Moon's testimonial. Oh, yes. Which I am equally looking forward to and terrified about. But actually, having dominated in such stylish fashion at the North Dorset Sevens, I'm pretty prepared for it now. Yeah. You're going to be playing in a back, against a back row of who? Well, I think it's Kai Horseman, Thomas Waldron, and there was one other who was really, really good. Tom Johnson? Tom Johnson, yeah. <laughs> E.T. So at least he won't be in shape. Um <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. Um, Matt Jess, Phil Dolman, I believe, are in the back line. And when I checked last, in my the, the, the back line that I'll be winning the ball for will be Charlie Hodgson, Mike Tindall, James Hook, um, a, couple, a few others. So, well, um, mate, like, H is what level? Level eight? No, seven, eight. I was going like to say, because Mike Tindall plays level 10. So I'll run rings around him. I probably will. I mean, very fast at the moment, so it'll be all right. So, uh, yeah, that's the official start of the um, the English rugby season. So if anyone wants to see me um, run rings around ex-professionals, more than happy for you to come, come down Flash and do something. Get ended by former England international. Can't imagine that's... And Tom Johnson. Can't imagine that's on the agenda. The only thing I wouldn't do is when they said, what position do you play for your club? Uh, I nearly said tight prop. But then bearing in mind whose testimonial it is. 
that would not have gone well. <laughs> <laughs> not now that you're about uh, 92 kg. Yeah, I'll go on the flank and I can rock and stack. <clears throat> Perfect. Well, so um, we've got a few weeks till that, but uh, oh, maybe we'll have to have a. a do you fancy going down to watch it, Phil? So I'm I'm supposed to be on a stag do that weekend, which JB is also supposed to be on for um, disappointingly a wedding that has already happened. It's a post wedding stag um, due to COVID. So I'm I'm waiting to see what happens with that, um, how that stag plays out. We have suggested all the stag go to Exeter because I don't know if Exeter is a good night. I'm sure it is, but as you know. Playing things to do on there, and also they get to watch me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd be game. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. So, we, sh- we should start, if we're going to preview three teams this week, we should start from the very bottom. And of course, the very bottom is Saracens. Yeah. Yeah. Don't really know much about these boys. Um, it, funny one, Saracens, because they constructed two teams, didn't they? They constructed the England team, which uh, will, well, we, would have been needed for um, if they come back up, but have also constructed a team to win the championship, which had people like um, Cicino playing and... Swinners. Uh, yes, yeah, Swinners, Ala Davis, um you know, quite a few lads who wouldn't necessarily make the grade at Premiership, but are still in the mixer. Yeah, and, and a few. So, um, Sacchino obviously left, but he's gone to Tigers. Someone like yeah. Will Hooley, um, who was brought in for that, who's been, who's now gone. Um, uh, but they have, importantly, not all, but a good number of their um their younger England players, or certainly some of their younger England players, like uh, Ben Earl and Max Mallins, who they released to allow them to get more experience. And obviously those two were both involved in the England squad in, in the Six Nations, yeah. very importantly. Um, they come back into the fold alongside all of their stars, like Manu, sorry, Mako, um, Jamie George, Vincent Clark, Mario Toji, Billy Vanapola, Owen Farrell, um, Alex Good is back. Um, Maitland's still there. Elliot Daly. It, it, it's a. It's still a phenomenal team. It is. Yeah. And uh, because, I think yeah. he's back as well. Oh, yeah, he is back. And because they've had, because they had an outstanding squad anyway, I think it will serve them well that they've not done a lot of recruitment. They've brought in quite. A few, they've brought a few youngsters in. They brought in a young South African scrum half, uh, Ivan Van Zil. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, blue blue balls 
um, sort of 26. So he'll be covering scrum half because Tom Whiteley's gone to Bristol. They brought in a an American scrum half. Although well. he's he's a South African-born American Ruben, scrum half. Yes. Ruben de Haas? Yeah. Correct. And they brought in a prop Italian international, isn't he? That Riccioni? Yeah, he's from JB's beloved Benetton. Yeah. Oh, obviously, I know all about him. He's very good. <laughs> he's relatively young. And they brought in a hooker from Cardiff, youngster. Uh, he's not a youngster he's 27 Ethan Lewis so they, they haven't brought in a big any big names but they've they've recovered some massive names Alex Good as you say Ben Earl Max Malins Nick Azikwe Alex Lazowski yeah they've actually Nick Azikwe yeah yeah when they all come back together actually they are they are in better shape than I originally thought to, to be fair I did think they were um, going to struggle a little bit more. And the other thing you've got to remember is this will be the first time that I can remember, probably since the first time, Christ, this will be the first time since the podcast started that they're playing in the Premiership, but not in Europe. They have no well, European... Well, yeah. They have no yeah. European commitments to worry about. So they could be, actually be phenomenally dangerous. That's a very important point, actually. They, they're really only true. fighting on... Well, most of their team is only fighting on two fronts. Um Premiership and international. Um, ordinarily, they'll be fighting on three fronts. Mm. Now, they're obviously still going to have to battle with the fact that their players are going to be very, very much coveted by the international team. So international breaks are going to hit them very, very hard. Uh, that's going to be problematic for them. But other than that, I think they could be top six. I'm not going to be top four, but I think top six. I think, they'll def- I, I think they will definitely be top four. What? Definitely. I don't know about that. Definitely. I have, I have no doubt that they will be top four. The international breaks are, they are going to be important. I, I would agree with JB on that, but I think that you can flip that and say the lack of European rugby. Um, yeah, that, that, that is a big one as well. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think they'll be around. I think they'll definitely be around that top four. And also, we get to see potentially now Marcus Smith might be the man at 10. We, it's, it's great. We get to see Farrell and Daly together at 12 13. Their back line oh, it's going to be ridiculous. How are they going to fit them all in? I wonder if their success is actually, like you say or alluded to there, Tim, evolves around Marcus Smith. If Marcus Smith wins, wins the 10, jer- 10 jersey for England, Owen Farrell's free to do whatever he wants. He might still get the occasional game at 12. Might be mm-hmm. England. But when we discuss Leicester, that might be a factor. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just, just, on, just on paper, so their back line, I don't know who's going to be the, the number one scrum half in that squad. Potentially, mm-hmm. they have got a little... It's well, Maybe Alex Alan Davis is going to step up. But outside of that, uh, yeah, I don't know how they're going to line up. Off is a weird position for them, isn't it? Because I've not, I've only just remembered they're actually missing Wigglesworth and they're also missing uh, the guy who's gone to Bath whose name escapes me now. Spencer. Ben Spencer. There certainly is not a a high quality replace, well, an equal quality replacement for those two boys. No, and presumably their back line will be Owen Farrell, 10, Alex Lazowski, perhaps 12, Elliot Daly, 13 probably going to have Maitland and oh he's got Nick Tompkins as well yeah 
Yeah, it yeah. could be Tom Tompkins and Daly, or you could have Daly on the wing with Maitland or Lewington. Yeah, and now, got, yeah, good. Maitland, good old Maitlands. Maitland. Oh, nice. Now, here's a word of caution about this team, okay? Which is, Saracen's about to really think hard about who they keep and who they let go. And under normal circumstances, I think they'd have bought more people in and think, like most squads, that have had a bit more of a turnover. They've had to work out how to keep players rather than how to sign players. And as such, everyone is a couple of years older and they've not bought in any fresh blood. I'm not seeing much in the way of academy products here. And they've even let one go who is, I think he's gone to Wasps. Has he? The... Ali Crossdale, who he, is it? Eddie Jones brought him into the England training squad, didn't he? So I think that might have been, they just couldn't afford to keep him. Perhaps, perhaps. But then if he does go into the England training squad, don't you get England credits for him? Therefore, you can afford to keep him. Yeah, but well, maybe his market value is yeah, way, but, well north of where, where they were, what they were paying him. Yeah, so maybe just the fact that they've had to keep players rather than rotate that squad could lead to a little bit of stagnation. And I think that's probably worth watching. Yeah, and I, I do kind of agree with that. It, it's there are some amazing names, but it's probably not as deep as it has been in the past when they were well, when they were definitely paying over the odds for for their team for the, for some of their players. And you have those those ultra high end stars like Itoji, like Vincent Cock, like the Vunapolas, like uh, Owen Farrell, like Elliot Daly, who will be amongst the highest paid players in the Premiership. Um, yeah. all all of those players that does mean you've got to compromise some depth yeah and, and Billy Vanapola is kind of one of the players that I'd be thinking of a guy who's just got a bit older but not really more effective a guy who'd probably be starting the Lions if it was you know two years ago didn't even make the tour and you know people do get older and this is an age this is starting to become an aging squad now mm, I mean Billy, Billy is still only 28 and he has got some very good years ahead of him I tend, to, I tend to think with Billy, it was more, it's more style rather than um, his age or lack of performance necessarily. Because they pick, they pick three eights who, whose kind of go to is playing in the wide wide channels. Um, Conan Falatau and Sam Simmons are all kind of in broken field play play almost in that thirteen channel. Like Kieran Reid used to do years ago, whereas Billy Vanapola is is not the kind of man who you're going to find hanging out in the 13 channel. Yeah, yeah, there's that too. But I mean, I just think a fully firing Billy would have gone on the lines. That that, that, that that's all I'm saying. So he's got a lot of good years ahead of him, hopefully. But mm. it was one undeniable. He's had a lot of hard years behind him. Mm. He has. Yeah. We we oh. should move on to Worcester because there's a lot to talk about there. Yes, this is a oh, real. So they were dreadful, absolutely <laughs> dreadful last season. Yep, yep. Like objectively, even when you factor in the the, the squad, it, what, however you slice and dice it, even when you account for maybe the disparity in money they spend on their squad versus others, even factoring that in, they were dreadful. Yeah, yep. yeah. There's, yeah, yeah. Basically, you're right. They were dreadful. And so, and just to summarise. Uh, Francois Huha, Duncan Weir, Nick David to Quinns. I think that's a big loss. Nick um, David. A load of players. Like It's an end of an era, closing of a chapter now with Chris Pennell going. Looking down the list of other... Marco Mama's been one of their best players in recent years. He That's come to an end now. Nick Shonner has gone to sale. I think that's a big loss. Yeah. But they've recruited heavily. So they've lost a lot of players. 
They yeah, they have, and they've recruited. Well. Now the recruits, I don't think are that important. At least I don't think Worcester think. Mm, well, we'll come on to what Worcester think. I think the most important signing they've, uh, they've made is probably a coach called David Drake, who is the guy responsible for turning this team into one of the fittest teams in the Premiership. And I worry a little bit if this evolution of Worcester is a little bit lopsided, if they're putting all of their eggs in one basket, which is the conditioning basket. And this all comes from the fact that Jonathan Thomas played under Warren Gatland. And I wonder how much of what we're about to see from Worcester is Jonathan Thomas's original thinking about how a team should be structured rather than him just repeating what he's seen under Warren Gatland and you know how fitness and uh, conditioning helped Wales win everything which they did. It's not clear to me that Worcester are going to play attractive rugby, but I think they're going to be a very hard-working team. And you know, with that in mind, it makes you wonder, what are they going to do with someone like uh, Duan van der Merwe? Yeah, well, Duan van der Merwe is the, I don't know, he, he's a, an odd signing for, for a team that is um, going to be struggling right across the board. Um he he will get a lot of go forward. He will undoubtedly score tries, but to spend an enormous chunk of your um, your salary, um, albeit he will be a marquee player, but it's still Worcester only have finite resources. So to spend an enormous chunk of those finite resources is um, is not what I would want to do. Where do you think Duan van der Merwe will be ranked in fantasy rugby draft? In fact, JB, you'll have to set up our. Uh, league for the coming season so we can have a look at the rankings but where do you reckon he'll be where would you where would you rank him i i would i would have him i think he'll go in the top two rounds possibly top round because because he's so expensive he will play every game he's available to play um other than um if he's ever available if there's ever crossover for um scottish internationals because they don't get the same release window as english players yeah he will play every game um they can and he will be effective. He will he will score probably eight to ten tries, and he will get like his his defenders beaten and meters made stats are always impressive. Like he broke the Brian O'Driscoll record for defenders beaten in this year's Six Nations, which has stood for like fifteen years. So um, he will be a very handy player to pick up in that. Yeah, um, I think this is an attack. on... Sorry, sorry, Tim. I think I feel this is an attack on his character now. But I wonder how mentally strong he's going to be playing in a team like Worcester, getting hammered each and every week. Now, when you're playing international, you know, you've got good players around you. You can get go forward. They can put you in positions that you want to be in. And he's not necessarily the star in, in, um, in, in those teams either. I've just got a horrible feeling that it's not going to go well for him. Now, I think I think he will do all right, and I, I'm I, the other signings that that caught my eye with with Worcester is they've bought a whole new front row. So yes, they, they have. So they've got um, Lion Rory Sutherland. They've got was he a Lion Scott Baldwin? He wasn't. Was he not? Um, he? Welsh international eaten and pre- by, eaten by Lion Scott. Baldwin. He was bitten by That's a Lion. Yeah. I knew the Lion link. Um, uh, he's. Welsh international and recent Premiership winner Scott Baldwin and and uh, Christian Judge, who's uh, Saracens and and Bath, and has always been a, a solid tight head prop. So you you have got a loose head hooker and tight head there. That that is a, a 
that's a far more sensible than spending half a million pounds a year on a um, a very talented um, going forward, but limited defensive winger. Can I, also, can I also add to that on Scott Baldwin? I, the signings I look at and I'm more encouraged by, I, they're both arguably past the peak, but they've still got some good years in them. But Scott Baldwin and Willie Hines, what they've got in those two players are really good characters yeah. that can actually bring a group together and some some real genuine leadership there and I, I find that encouraging they're international caliber players or have been and can be again I'm sure they'll play every game that they're available and in with a lot of youngsters around and Worcester have got some really good youngsters I'm really disappointed that they let Nick David go but mm. um, Ollie Morris is a guy coming through in the center along with Ollie Lawrence already there and Finn Smith Finn Smith as well, and you've got those. You've got awesome back um, players. I forget the, the the fella's name. The guy that was injured a lot. Milani Nanai. Milani Nanai. They've got some real class. So do you know why Nick David left? Because they wouldn't play him fullback. Correct. Yeah, they said, "Look, we've got Milani Nanai. We can't guarantee you a fullback position." Uh, you know, if you give me the choice out of both these lads, I'm I'm sure Nanai. I know Nanai is a very very good player. But even, you got even if they'd said to Nick David, "Yes, we'll play you fullback." Um, if Harlequins came in and said, we want you to replace Mike Brown. Uh, okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if Harlequins guaranteeing you the 15 shirts to replace Mike Brown, it's hard to say no. But he's obviously asked because this is exactly what Jonathan Thomas said in a press conference. He said the reason we had to let him go is because we couldn't guarantee him. Well, lie to him. Do what you do. <laughs> do what you need to do. Just get... <laughs> um, one of the interesting signing for Worcester is Owen Williams coming back. Yeah. Now, I have no idea how this is going to go. He's injured a lot in his um, most recent stint at, um, at Gloucester. He's then been in Japan for a year or two. He's a very talented player, but we've, I've not seen much rugby at all in the last few years. I think he's going to go well. He, <laughs> This is, a, again, not a great compliment, but he's a very sensible player. You know, he's not the kind of guy who's going to you know, lose his head or throw stupid offloads. You're not buying Quade Cooper or Billy Burns. You're getting a, a guy with a good sense of direction and a good, a good sense of um, percentages. So I think he's a really solid signing for them. Mm. Um, and they've got Ted Hill. So we mentioned, obviously, they, they lost Nick David. They've kept Holly Lawrence. They've got Finn Smith, who is a talented youngster coming through. They've kept Ted Hill as their captain, who I, I every time I watch, I watched well, Ted Hill, but also Worcester last year. Ted Hill was pretty much their best player. He, yep. He's such a good player. And just back to Tim's point about good characters, um, again, getting a bit old, but Matt Garvey is actually a good character. He's the sort of guy who, you know, is a good premiership operator. Well, and good characters and characters from a great family. The best the ki- family. They've got the Kitchener boys. I can't ask him possibly. Great family. What a great, fam. great family. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've made lots of nice noises about Worcester, despite an absolute horrible start to this uh, segment for them. I, where, where are they going to finish? Can you, can you see them above 13th? And if I you can. can, who fills that void? I can, I can, well, we, I, I assume we're talking about Newcastle next. Hmm. Oh, no. oh, who, who are we talking about next? We're to- I- sorry, we're talking about Gloucester next in oh, terms Gloucester of if next. we're following the premiership table from last season. I might not be 
Oh, Gloucester next because I've got one percent left on my iPad. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, look, if everything goes absolutely perfectly, absolutely perfectly, and they gel as a team, then you know they've got potential to be knocking on the door of the top six. Potential, but that is like the perfect storm. Reality, they'll be lucky to get top ten. Mm. So last last season they won Worcester won one game with yeah. the, they had they the table shows them was in four but they had three walk COVID walkovers they won one game. Um, I I said this last season that when I look at Worcester when I look at that squad there's a lot to be optimistic about but just they could not get it onto the pitch last year and I yeah. kind of feel that's where they're going to be. I think if they win, I mean if they beat their COVID. Um, record or COVID um, induced record last year of um, four wins. I think that's about where they're going to end up, probably. And I, yeah. I'd love to be because I, I I like Worcester. I, I do. I'd, I'd love to be wrong on that, um, but I, I can't. Say. Maybe they should aim for five wins. Biggest danger for Worcester is they don't stick to the plan. So. They've given the whole thing to Jonathan Thomas. They've let him get uh, David Drake on. They've let him get rid of loads of other play- players and bring in loads more. And I just think this has got to be a three-year project. It has to be a three-year project because it's a brand new team, pretty much. Yeah, so but let- I've, got, I've got to say, yeah, you, you, they have to give them time. But I am encouraged because when I look at the, the players out and the players in, I think they've really upgraded I mean, I do agree with with Phil, and I think we all all agree that it, with finite resources, that there, there there are positions I would fill, particularly with Worcester squad that they already have. There's positions I'd fill before I go after expensive wingers. Yes, and there's there's other clubs that have, uh, Gloucester have made that. We'd say the same about Gloucester um, in, in previous years, but nonetheless, I think they have upgraded their squad quite a lot and turned over some all solid players. But they've got they've got. They've got some players that you feel really good about putting them on the on the team sheet. Mm. So, um, but nonetheless, I do think they're going to be around that tenth. Well, I think you know once we've done all these reviews, what we should do is we should pick every team's best second team. So, pick the first team, eliminate them from contention. Pick the second team, and then rank the rank the second teams where you think they finish in the league. And I guarantee that's how 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 the league will finish. Mm, that's that's interesting. I'd, I'd do that excited. Given that your iPad's about to uh, die, why don't we just do two teams for this podcast, and we'll we'll catch up with a third on a on another one. Great idea. We'll do that. Sounds good to me. All righty. Go and get well. Go and have some water and fluids, vitamin C, vitamin D, and all that bollocks, Jay. I'm gonna watch uh, boat videos on YouTube now about sanding. Boat crashes. No, none of them. <laughs> none of them. <laughs> Can we do like a music video, like in Step Brothers? Uh, like Nelly. Like, Nelly. Like, like the old Nelly video. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm thinking of the Lonely Island video. Oh, oh we, yeah. do, well, oh. We, we can do a podcast from the boat. Yeah. Yes. Oh, on the Prosecco deck. I'm building a Prosecco deck. Uh, have we got the Negroni deck as well? Do you know what? I went with Prosecco because it was more commercially viable. But actually, no, people want Negronis. Maybe the yeah. Negroni four deck. There, and this is what we have to... There's a place in Chalton. I forget which place it is. But on the on the little strip... It's not going to mean anything to anyone else. But just past the Barbican and that little strip there. Mm. There's a place that has, I think, 
is it they were advertising it on a board the other night uh, it's either tuesday or thursday is negroni evening and they they have got all different they've got negroni's <laughs> cheap but it's all all night so when did this when the, i mean by the way and who do they expect to attract like uh, advertising executives from new york <laughs> it does feel like we have started this whole negroni thing well you you two to be honest without doubt without a single shadow of a doubt this is down some, to earth. some lead some follow 100 right uh, gents yeah go Int- on but I'll, I'll do the out i'll do the out go on you you, you two can just do one see ya Rod. in a bit nice bye right Thank you very much for listening and for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed already, well, go hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast because we'll be here for you every single week, even when there's no rugby to talk about. 52 weeks of the year and we very much appreciate your support, your ears. So go hit subscribe. Uh, we'll see you on the next one. We're at patreon.com slash egg chasers and have a Q&A podcast coming very soon. So I need more questions, please. More questions, anything, any conversation starters, thoughts, rants, raves, questions, uh, to our email address, which is contacteggchasers at gmail.com. Right, let the boys play. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.